Welcome back to our High Five, where we're gonna highlight five awesome things that are happening in the life of our church. So let's jump into it. Up at number five, we're celebrating two baptisms our Bedford Outpost has experienced recently. Sean and Lucy, today this kingdom-sized high five goes out to each of you. We're so excited to see how God will continue to move in your lives. In at number four, this past week, our One Church students hiked up Mount Unkanunik together, enjoying great conversation, awesome weather, and even a picnic at the top. Way to go, you guys, and here's to more times like this. Visit church.one slash students or check us out on social media to join in on the next adventure. Here at number three, recently, Rooted Group spent time serving in their local communities. One group put together baskets for the Manchester Fire and Police Stations, filling them with gift cards, snacks, games, and more. High five to the many groups serving in many different ways over these past few weeks. Here's to sharing God's love like this. In at number two, hundreds of men from all over New England are gathering for a one-day conference called Iron Sharpens Iron. The speakers and workshops are designed to strengthen sons, husbands, fathers, workers, leaders, all kinds of men living lives for the glory of God. Iron Sharpens Iron is on Saturday, May 6th, so visit church.one slash events to sign up today. High five to growing in faith and godly living. And finally, up at number one, Victoria found herself ready to respond to what God was calling her to do and be baptized. Victoria claims the truth that her identity is in Christ and we're all celebrating that with her today. High five, Victoria. Thanks for joining us for our high five and I can't wait to celebrate with you in the next one. Every time I uh, come down that hill into Franklin, you know what I'm talking about? You come down the hill and you, you see the church steeple and I can pray for the city. I know that, that God is, is doing something here I know that God wants to do something here. And I know that it's through his church that really anything good will get done. And so um, we're in this series called The City on a Hill. And it, it says this, Jesus is talking to his church. He says, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. And I've shared this, like it, it, it strikes me that Jesus says by being connected to him, you will be a light. And sometimes we like, we, we, in your life, you might struggle with, well, I don't know how God could use me. And, and I would say, well, that's for him to worry about. That's not for you to worry about. Your, your worry is to stay connected to him. And he says, when you're connected to him, you'll be a light. And a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. And so when I think about Franklin, when I pray over Franklin, I, I, I know that it's through his church. I know that it's through you. I know that it's through his people. And it's a, it's a city that... that it, as every other city needs Jesus, and it's amazing to think that it's going to be through us, like it's going to be through you, it's going to be Christ in us, Christ through you that makes an impact on this city. So the memory verse is going to be up here. It comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Every week we do, uh, uh, every week during a series, we do the same memory verse together, and hopefully you get to remember it. Um, but as we, as we read it today, may you hear Jesus talking to you in the midst of it. May you just hear Jesus talking to his church in the midst, midst of it. So we read, will you read it all with me? You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. And I was thinking about how our passion, 
about how, have you ever noticed that passion draws passion? People are interested when you're passionate about something. Like even now, if I were to say, think of someone who's, sorry, we'll get up there. Um, <laughs> even now, if I were to say, like, think of someone who's passionate about something and how it can be contagious in a lot of ways and, and you can be drawn to them or you at least know them by it. Someone who's passionate about the Patriots, let's say, or someone who's passionate about the Bruins or someone's passionate, okay, that's sports. So someone passionate about music or someone passionate about, I don't know, the next, uh, next multi-level marketing thing. You know, you, 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 we come across passionate people and passionate people can draw passion. And so Jesus, I think he's, he's saying that when I start to do a work in your life and I start to change you and transform you, other people will see it. Other people will recognize it. They'll, they'll notice, like maybe you've come to Jesus and, and, and you weren't the same person or you're not the same person as you previously were, and that's intriguing. That's intriguing probably to your extended family members. They're like, ha, what happened to him? Like, like there's a total change that might have happened that Jesus will do through your life. And a lot of it's that fire that, that Jesus will pour inside you. We would call it the Holy Spirit, like moving inside you. And so that's why Jesus says, a city built on a hill can't be hidden. You, like you are the light of the world. And, and so don't, don't hide it and don't move it. So today we're talking about worship. And worship's one of those things that we, we, corporately, we often will think of this moment as worship, which it's true, like we just sang some songs and that's certainly a beautiful part of worship. And sometimes we call it worship music and, and we gather for worship. And, and while all of that's true, it's a very small, it's a very anemic, I suppose, version of worship that there's so much more to worship. And so we're gonna kind of talk through it, but there's, Things that we do together, particularly in our gathering, we do stuff together like we sing and, and, and we give together. That was there. We, we serve together. That's part of like we all have like we all can step into like little areas where we can serve one another in the midst of it. We also pray together. Luke had mentioned uh, we do something together as a church where we pray for one. And the idea behind that, like you might be like, well, what, what, are, what are we talking about praying for one? Here's the idea. God wants to use your life. The best way that God can use our life is to by stay connecting with him. And so prayer, praying for one person, it connects us to God. It says, God, I want to be about, about what you are about. And then you'll find it connects us to people because God is for people. God is for people to the point that he sent his son into the world to die for people. For God so loved the world because the people that you go to school with or you go to work with tomorrow or the people in your extended family or your immediate family, God loves them. And he's put you in their life or he's put... Someone else, maybe it's your enemy, and I don't mean to say that, but I mean, maybe it is. Maybe there's some person that you just can't forgive or some people that just, just drives you nuts. And that might be, oh, God is so good in his strangeness sometimes. Like that might be the very person that he wants you to, to pray for. Let your heart change towards that person. And ultimately it leads us into mission. It connects us to God's mission because he wants more people to know who he is. And one of the ways that God reveals himself is through the worship of his people. Like, we make some type of statement, right, by gathering here at 1 o'clock in Franklin on, a, on an afternoon. There's some type of statement here. It's like, this matters. That, that I'm going to give weight to that, which is what worship is. Worship means something that has weight. And the truth is, like, if you think about, we all worship. Every human being worships. Like, the people that you know, the people that you think are so far away from church or religion, they still worship. They, we, we all, I think as human beings, we're made to worship like, and we just worship different things. We worship people. If only I had that guy, if only I had that gal, they would be all the answers to all of my problems. And you get that guy or gal and you're like, whoa, that was not the answer that I thought. And, and there is a flaw, I suppose, in this person because they're people. We worship things. If I could only get the next house, if I could only get the next car, if I could only get a house. I mean, you fill in the blank. We worship 
things. We worship sports. I mentioned that already. I mean, man, if you want to see New England worship, you just go to the, you just go to the cathedrals, right? Cathedrals. You go to Gillette, you go to Fenway, and you will find worship. You will find people with raised hands. You will find people dressing the part. You will, you will find singing in the eighth inning. I know I reference that a lot. You will see worship in those places. The problem is we are all made to worship. We all will worship something. Often it's ourselves. But none of those things actually have weight. None of those things, all of those things... Are, are, are a little flimsy. They, they fall apart. The Red Sox lose. So like, there's all of these things that happen and, and they, they, don't, they can't sustain the weight that we put on them. And so we have this struggle with worship of, well, what is worthy of my worship? And sometimes we'll spend our whole life. We'll spend our whole life trying to figure out what is worthy of my time, what is worthy of my life, what is worthy of this. And we would suggest that the greatest thing that you can worship is the all-powerful God of the universe, the one who made it all. Like, and it doesn't take very far. You just, I mean, I was gonna say you could leave this building and look at creation, but man, you can stand inside this building and look at the creative design that God put in human beings and we could praise humans for this, but we could at the same time say, man, there is an amazing creator God that has poured his creativity in people and so we can, we can worship him. There's, a, there's one who's worthy of our, of our worship. And so how do we, well, what is worship? We're, we, as we go through the series, we're doing like a what, when, where, why, who, how type of worship. I don't know if I'll hit them all. If you're, taking, if, if you're like taking notes of which one I hit, I apologize. But what is worship? Worship means to exalt something. It means to put weight to something. It means to give credibility to something. It means to acknowledge that something is worthy of, of your time, your effort, your energy, your emotion, your feeling. It's, it's, it's to give weight to something. Why do we worship? Well, we were made to worship. We were, we, were, we were made to worship. And so there's something, and I can't explain it all, but there's something inside our human psyche that says, I gotta get outside of myself. Because you stay in yourself too long, any of you got stuck in yourself too long, and you start to realize, oh, this is not the best place to live. I gotta, I gotta get out of here. There has, to be, there has to be something bigger than me, right? There has to be hope beyond this body and this mind because this mind's crazy in here. There's gotta be something past this. And so why do we worship is because we, we have to step outside of ourselves and say, well, there's gotta be something bigger. When do we worship? Well, we could mistakenly say at one o'clock in Franklin on a Sunday afternoon, but we worship everywhere. We worship all of the time. Every aspect of our lives is ultimately supposed to be worship. It's just we decide whether it's gonna be worship or not. <laughs> I, said, I said this, I don't know why I said this, but I said, I, you know, cutting my, my, my kids' meat could be worship. Now, I don't know why I said it, but, but it could be. Like, if I can praise God even in the midst of it, I said putting them to bed could be worship. And man, sometimes it's not worship, I can tell you that. Um, but, but, but every aspect of your life, because Romans chapter 12, Paul will talk about the grace of God, and then he says, well, what do we do with this? He says, therefore, like, how do we respond to a God that is all-powerful, all-loving, who died for me? He says, um, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies, your life, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is the only reasonable worship that there is. The only reasonable worship to, to the all-powerful being of the universe is our entire lives. He says, that's what's, that's what's reasonable, that's what makes sense. And when you think about it, that is what makes sense. And so, um, why? when do we worship? Well, all the time. Where do we worship? Everywhere. How do we worship? That's actually a good one. How, how do we worship? 
Well, we worship in song. We worship through prayer. We worship through serving one another. And so we we worship from saying, okay, I'm gonna gonna take time and and draw into the presence of God, which is not a, a small idea. And we're in Hebrews chapter 10 today. And Hebrews chapter 10, ah, ah, I'm a little excited about it. Just I, I, Hebrews chapter 10. So if you, you start at the beginning of the Bible, you're like, what in the world is going on at, at the beginning of the Bible? Because if you ever read the Old Testament, the Old Testament, it, it's, it's God trying to help a group of people understand that he is utterly different than anything they know, Right? He's utterly different than anything they can get their minds around. So, so they're, 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 they're living in a world, as Jesus will call this nation of Israel, they're living in a world where people worshiped gods that were very much just them. It was like them. They had, they had temperaments, and, and so they make these little, oh, they're making gods that they, that they knew. There's something that they made, and they're, they're, they're worshiping, and it's getting their allegiance. And, and, and God is wanting to, he calls this group of people called the Israelites, he makes a nation out of them, and he says, I want you to know, I want you to see that there is nothing like me, that I am completely other. Everything that you know, I am bigger than. And so if you read the Old Testament, there's a lot of weird stuff there. I mean, if you've, how many of you have read some of the Old Testament and been like, that is weird. I don't know what's going on. How many of you read the Old Testament and said, that is extreme. God seems really extreme in the Old Testament. What's going on? Here's what's going on. God is trying to help people understand that he is completely and utterly different than everything that they know. Like he is all power, which I don't even think our minds can understand. I mean, you can glimpse it even if you think about the world and in creation. If you look at the stars, you can, you can start to understand, okay, there is some type of power there, right? You could go the micro. You could go tiny. Like, there is some type of power holding all of this together. And so God is far more powerful than anything that I know. God is far more just than anything I understand. And so the justice of God, he's trying to help his people understand that like, man, I, he, he is just, there's integrity in him. He's not both ways at the same time. He, he's, he's not fickle. And so if he says something, he means something. And so, and so that's to be held with awe and it's to be held with reverence and a, and a type of respect. Again, God's just trying to help them to understand that he's different. Different to the point, and I'm getting to a point here in a second, different to a point that in order for someone to come into his presence, he had them build this like tent as they traveled through the wilderness. If you remember out of Exodus, Moses and the Ten Commandments, he leads them. Prince of Egypt, Disney people, if you needed a reference. As they're coming out of Egypt, um, he has them build this tabernacle and, and they're carrying with them the Ark of the Covenant, Raiders of the Lost Ark, for those of you who need to know, Ark of the Covenant, the two angels are like on this box. And, and God had, um, has, he said, I, I want you to build the tabernacle and then the temple and there's going to be this particular place inside the temple behind a curtain where only the high priest, only one day a year, after making a lot of sacrifices for his sins and the sins of people, can enter it. And and there I will meet with the high priest that one day a year behind the curtain and, and, and he can see me. Now, Scripture will say no one has seen God and can live. Moses will say, God, I want to see you. And God will say, you can't see me. I'm far too powerful, far too big. And sometimes we shrink our God down, don't we? You do not want a small God. I do not want a small God. He says, no, you don't understand, Moses. He says, you cannot see me in all of my glory. He says, well, here's what I'll do. I'll hide you in a rock and you can see my back. And, Moses, and God does that for Moses. And Moses is coming on the mountain, coming down the mountain and he's glowing. And the people are like, what just happened to Moses? And it's like, I, I just saw the, the, the back of God. And 
So Old Testament. On some level, there is this God that is so completely other that we can't be fully in his presence. I don't know if that's accurate. I, I mean, I don't know how to say that clearly, but, but there's, there's sin and there's mistakes and there's rebellion that we all have and the people had it back in their day, their day and God is perfect. And so how do you come? How does imperfection come into the, the presence of perfection, of imp, of perfection without, like, without making it imperfect? Because as soon as imperfection comes in the presence of perfection, it makes it imperfect, if you think about that. Um, and so there was this way in which the priest one time a year could go behind the curtain and come into the presence of God. God is otherly. God is different. And I think about that. He's the same God today. God is otherly. He is different. He's all power. He's all justice. He's all love. He's all integrity. He's all goodness. He's all, all. Which then raises the question, what has changed that now I can come into his presence? Because that's the truth. Like worship is coming into the presence of God and acknowledging who he is and giving weight. But what has changed? And, and what the Hebrews writer has says, he says, well, what has changed is that Jesus has come and he's died for you and he's died for me and he became a perfect and eternal sacrifice so that now because of what he has done, not because of what we could do in the obedience of law, which none of us could do anyways completely. Now, because of what Jesus has done, we get to enter into the throne room of God. And so what is worship? We learn to worship. Worship connects us to God, which means I can worship him confidently. And so that's what the Hebrew writers say. So I gave you a long, different kind of perspective, I suppose, on what the Hebrews writer is talking about up until chapter 10. Because this is what he says in chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 23. He's talking, I, I, when I hear it, I think of in terms of worship, it's like, okay, there is the throne room of God. There's the presence of God. There's the most holy place where God is. And I want to be there, except there's this barrier between, but now what's going to happen? Then this is what it says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. So what the Hebrews writer is saying is that we get to enter into the most holy place. Remember, the priest, one time a year, could enter the holy place. He says, now, through Jesus, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that's been opened up for us through the curtain. Oh, see, he's messing with the language. The curtain that is his body. Now that we can step into the most holy place through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest, now it's Jesus over the house of God, let us draw near to God. And I really would just stop there. I mean, I'll keep reading in a second, but what the Hebrews writer is saying is in the past, the other, otherliness of God was put in place so that we could see that he is wholly different. Holy means set apart. You know, we just saying holy. It means set apart. He's different. He's different. And, but now, because of what Jesus has done, we get to enter into the most holy place where no one else could have gone. And it says the way that we enter it is through the body of Jesus, which it says the curtain. I'll keep reading and then we'll talk about it. Um, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. When Jesus died on the cross, so, so when Jesus died on the cross, something interesting happened. 
When Jesus died on the cross, the temple that separated the most holy place from people was torn in two. Actually, literally torn in two. How did it happen? God did it. I don't know how else to say it, but it says when, when, when Jesus was died, it says at that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. The place where Old Testament could never go because God is otherly and could not be approached. All of a sudden, Jesus dies on the cross. The temple is torn. And I think God is saying something profound and amazing about it. He's saying that now, now, this is crazy. Access to God is open. And then it goes on to say through his body, and he calls it the curtain. So through the body of Jesus, the curtain is torn, and we have access to the throne room of God. Have you ever not had access somewhere? I, I, for some, have you ever been in an airport, and you see the airport lounge? Anybody been to an airport, and you see the airport lounge? You guys know what I'm talking about? They're always, I, I, like, I like architecture. I like, I like doors and things like that. So I'm drawn to architecture in a lot of ways. And, and so you'll, you'll go through the airport, and airports are airports, until you come across these doors. And, and there's usually someone out front with like this, oh, something like this, and they have some type of list on it, and, and the doors will open, and all of these people will go in, and I'm like, I'm on the outside looking in. Have, has anybody been behind one of those things? Don't, don't spoil it for me, because I'm picturing all, thing, all kinds of great things happening behind those, those airport doors, but I, all I know is I am on the outside, and there's someone on the inside, and there is no access to them. What Jesus does for us which was perhaps hard for them to understand, the, hard for me to understand, is that right now, at this very moment, you have access to God. You can come before God. And it's only because of Jesus. That somehow, what they didn't have back then what only one person could do one time a year, the gates have been opened wide to us. And so here's what the Hebrew writer is saying. And I, I get it, and I don't mean to sound irritating in this, because the Hebrew writer is saying is, if God is available with open arms and a direct route to his throne... Why wouldn't you do it? If he's all love and all power and all grace and all, all justice and all goodness all the time, he says, let us with confidence. And that's what struck me is the confidence side. Because I can tell you sometimes why I didn't want to approach the throne. Because of me. Because there's been times in my life where I'm just a mess. And I'm going to assume that you've been a mess too. And what happens when you're a mess, you say, well, I'm dirty. I can't come into the presence of God because, man, we say things like, he's going to strike me dead. Lightning will hit, lightning will hit the church. If I, if I like, show up, like, I'm not, even, I'm not even sure. And that's not confidence. What it says is, no, you, not because of you, but because of Jesus, because of what he has done, you have access to the throne room of God. And therefore, if you have access to the throne room of God, then let us step into it, not timid, but with confidence. And then it goes, on to, it goes on to deal with our mess. It says, having our hearts sprinkled, our conscience sprinkled, all of this imagery, and baptizing our bodies in, in, in a new life in him, it says, let's, let's step into it. Let's, 
Let us draw near to God. What is worship? I think worship is drawing near to God. I think worship is responding to the open invitation, come know me. Come walk with me. Come acknowledge me in your day. Come and acknowledge me in this moment. And so worship connects us to God. And so we worship confidently. But the other thing about worship is we do it together. Worship connects us to people. We worship communally. We worship with each other. We're, we're here together with each other, right? Like it's redundant. Everything that, everything that I just said was redundant. We worship here together. We're in it. We're in this. There's things that we, we do together. And so there's something communal about worship. There's something contagious about a group of people gathering to worship God. And the more, the more we do it, the, 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 the more we give lives of worship, the more people are, are drawn to it. And the better we're drawn together, the more we're drawn together, the more people are drawn to that togetherness. It's just kind of the way it, it works. So this is what the Hebrews writer will go on to say. He'll go on to say in verse 24, he says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. He starts to let us. Therefore, here's, here's the thing. You get to go, <laughs> I sound, felt a little bit of Oprah in a second. You get to go in the throne room of God. You get to go in the throne room of God. You get to throw, go in the throne room of God. And we're all there together. And so if we're all there together, what it says is that we're family with one another. And if we're family with one another, we recognize that this world is hard. We recognize that it's difficult, that you go through trials and hardships. And there's times when you want to quit. And there's times when you're a jerk and other people are a jerk to you. Like we know like this is reality. And so it says, well, if we're in this together and we worship God communally, and if worship isn't just songs, if it's actually our very lives, it means that there's things that we can do together. And a lot of it hinges, if you read 1 John, a lot of it hinges around our love for one another and our connection with one another. And so he says, let us therefore consider, which to be honest, struck me this week. It's like, he says, let us consider how we might spur one another on. And spurs make me think of a horse, which makes me think of my non-cowboy days when I wanted to be a cowboy but wasn't. And when you get on a horse, you spur it, I assume, to, to, to make it go faster. And it's like you're kind of disciplining the horse. He says, let us spur one another on. Let us encourage one another on. Let us help one another on. And so the beauty of, of worship is that we're in it together. When you're not doing it well, maybe I'm doing it well. And when I'm not doing it well, maybe you're doing it well. And so it says encourage one another. And so what do we encourage one another? Well, we encourage one another to love. Let us spur one another on in love. There are times when you're not a loving person, right? And there's times when I'm not a loving person. There's times when there's people that you just won't forgive because you're holding on to something. And there's times when I'm holding on and I won't forgive. And what we do is we help each other and say, well, no, now maybe it's time to forgive. And now maybe it's time to love. And maybe it's time not to, to, to overlook that person. And so we encourage each other in that way. It goes on not only to love, but we also encourage each other to action because love moves. Love, love moves itself into action. And so maybe there's needs among us. And so maybe part of our worship, again, like we, God, expand our idea of what worship looks like because I think we'll have a much better experience in this world if we understand that worship is everything. And so encourage one another to deeds, to action. Like what does God want us to do for each other in the midst of each other? You can read the book of Acts, Acts chapter two, all of a sudden you'll start to see, oh, they start to get it. It's like, oh, we actually... We're actually supposed to love each other and help each other and, and sell things in order to, to, to help others. And so um, Hebrews writer will say, well, let us spur one another on. Let us encourage each other to love and to action. Let's encourage one another into discipline. Let's not give up meeting together. 
as some might become in the habit of doing, what happens is, what happens is we get distracted. We all get distracted. We all start chasing other things. We all start going down other paths, and it says, no, let's, let's, let's encourage each other to discipline, that we want, we want to grow. And so, and then the last one is, encourage one another to eternity. It says this, even more as we see the day approaching. Even more as we see the day approaching. That we serve an eternal God. But we feel, we feel the temporariness of our lives. The Hebrews people, the people that the Hebrews writer is writing to, they're either going or about to undergo intense persecution. People who are persecuting them for their faith. And there's this worship that's connected to mission, and that is to worship courageously. Because there's this temptation, there's this section that is a difficult passage in Hebrews chapter 10. And I'll only talk about it briefly because I could get lost in it and you could get lost in it. Um, but it talks about there's going to be temptation in your life to walk away. There's going to be temptation in your life to, to say, I don't know if, I, I don't know if I want to do this. Or there has been. Man, I'm not guaranteeing that there's going to be, but there might be. There might be, like, life might get hard. <laughs> that's a joke. Uh, that, that, I mean, that's a joke. I, I know life will get hard. There will be moments when you might be done with God. There might be moments just, I can't do this anymore. There might be moments when you just get flat out frustrated and you're just going to want to walk away. And what the Hebrews writer will say in, the, in this kind of this, this difficult section is, well, if you walk away, where are you, you going to go? If, if Jesus is the access to the throne room of power, of hope and salvation, and you decide, oh, I can't really do this anymore, which is understandable on some level because life is hard, but he says if you're going to turn and walk away, where are you going to go? If Jesus is the only way and you go another way, you're only going to walk away to your own destruction or your own loss because he is the way. And, and so what the Hebrews writer will say is, yeah, it's going to get hard, but if you've come to know what the truth is, kind of like Peter is like, Jesus, where else would we go? And so there's something about worship that is tied to mission in the terms of courage to courageously worship. Have you ever, um, I'm guessing you have, I'm just trying to jog it to your memory. Have you ever watched someone going through a very difficult time, but their faith stayed intact? And not even intact, their faith was actually strengthened through it? I, mean, I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's, it, it, it's, it's weird, it's amazing it's, it's to, to see the peace of God at, at work in their life. Um, and I think that's part of the courage of worship. Here's what I mean. There will be times in your life where you don't want to worship. There will be times in your life. I, I think of this story when David, the king of Israel, he's called the man after God's own heart and his, his son had died. And after wrestling with his death for a while, he goes, I think, into the temple. I don't remember exactly where he went, but somewhere at least in, his, in the palace. And he goes to worship God. And I realize there's something stubborn about worship. And I mean that in a positive way. I, I notice that sometimes there's, there's an obstinacy about worship. It's like, it's like, no, I'm going to worship because God is worthy and God is all-powerful no matter what it is that I have faced, that, that he is sufficient. Even though my world consistently shakes, I will worship. It's, it's, I love stubborn worship, like in that type of way, stubborn worship, because it's so contagious um, and it's so courageous. So this is how we end. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light 
when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly, expo uh, publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so being treated. You suffered along with those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possession. I'm not sure if we understand exactly what they were going through. What I mean is I'm not sure if I understand like, what it means to lose everything or to watch people die because of their faith and follow of Jesus and the Hebrews writers said, you guys are watching this. Um, so do not throw away your confidence because it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what has been promised. For in a little while, he who is coming will come and he will not delay. And but my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed but to those who have faith and are saved. There's courage in worship. I, I really believe there's courage in worship. That there's something about our God that when everything falls apart or when everything unravels, we are still a people who can worship him. And we can praise him and not just with our song, but we can praise him with our lives. And I think that is infectious. I think, that, I think that's what makes this whole thing beautiful. Jesus will take the bread. Only now, you know, Hebrews writer will give us a whole different perspective. He says, this is my body, but the Hebrews writer says, this is the curtain. Like, that's kind of crazy. Like, this is the curtain. Jesus' body is the curtain. What separated God, the holy of holies, from people. This is the curtain torn in two. He says, whenever you do this, may you do this in remembrance of me, that access to God comes through me. We take it to our king. He takes the juice, he says, this is my blood poured out for you. You're invited in. And if you're invited in, why would you not come? I think that's what Hebrews writer would say. If, if the invitation is there, then, then, then come um, and get to be with the one who loves you and the one who's for you. So we take to our king. Would y'all stand with me? Maybe you're here today and you don't have the confidence Maybe here today, you don't have the confidence. You feel like a lot of bad decisions have been made. You feel like, man, there's a whole lot of past that you're bringing to this moment. Can I encourage you that that's not? I'm not sure that that matters. Because it says Jesus died for you and you're invited in that he can wash you and he can cleanse you. And so if, if there's someone that, if, if you need prayer about anything regarding that, I'll be down in front. Tammy will be down here. If someone around you in your community, we, we're in this together, can pray with you and you can talk with them about it. But don't leave here today without confidence that you were loved by God and that you're invited to him. And maybe today's the day that you you want to say yes to the invitation to, to walk behind the barrier that maybe you put there. Like, you're really the only one standing in the way of a relationship with the all-powerful God. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It sounded like it. But if you're the only one in the way, then get out of the way and say yes to knowing Jesus and walking with him. And 
The way we do that as a church is to be baptized into him. There's water behind me and it's this picture of going down into the grave, the old you and coming up out of the grave, a new you and it's a beautiful invitation to, to be baptized into him. So I'm going to pray. Father God, I thank you for, I thank you for today. And I thank you for everyone here. Lord, I thank you that even now, even at this very moment, because of Jesus, we get to stand in your throne room. And I'm not sure if I even understand that. That you are here right now. And that is strange to our human finite minds. And better still and more incomprehensible still is not only you are here, but you are in us. So Lord, help us to Help us hear you and listen to you, and may our lives be worshipped. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's sing through this chorus a few times. Just get our hearts back on God that He's all that we need. But then the work that it takes to Make it so that he's all that we want as well. A heart attuned to worship him. Help me know that you are near. 